If you've got a Bible this morning, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 12. This morning, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Supper, but we're actually going to do a pretty exhaustive study this morning, tra- tracing it all the way back uh, to the Old Testament ordinance of the Passover. And so this morning, as we, as we talk about the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, and we talk about the, the remembrance and, and what it represents for us as New Testament Christians, I, I do want you to understand that God has always called His people to remember what He's delivered them from and how He's delivered them. As a matter of fact, our God is a God that delivers. Man, He, he is able to deliver us from our oppressor. God is a good God. He hears the cries of His people, and He is able to deliver them. And man, we, we rejoice in that. We sing about that, and hopefully we're thankful about that. And so this morning, as we talk about the New Testament ordinance of the Lord's Supper, we need to get the backstory, so to speak, and, and what God has done through history with His people. And so if you want to take notes this morning, I think you have notes kind of scattered out. Of course, you can take them on the church app this morning as well. But this morning, I want to start with this point. I want to start with this principle that the Lord's Supper does have a connection back to the Old Testament Passover. It does have a connection back to the Old Testament Passover. And the backstory for the nation of Israel is that God in the Old Testament is working through a physical nation. As a matter of fact, many of you know the story of Abraham, right? Have you, have you read the story of Abraham? He had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And so you also learned the cool kid song with that. And in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, God visits a man named Abram, right? And some of these references, you're going to have to look up yourself because I didn't give you everything on the board this morning. But in Genesis 12 and verse 1, the Bible says, The Lord said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless him, bless them that bless thee, and I will curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And many times we call that the Abrahamic covenant, where God promised through Abram, who later became Abraham, a, a seed. He promised him a land, and he promised him to be a blessing to all nations. And, and we know that that story continued through the Old Testament through his son Isaac, right? Isaac was the child of promise. Remember the story, right? God get, gave Abraham this tremendous covenant, and then there was some time that passed by. And Abraham got impatient with God like we get impatient with God. And instead of waiting on God to provide what he needed, he took matters into his own hands and the power of his flesh. He had a son through a handmaid and God didn't bless that. God had a child of promise, even his old age, named Isaac. And all of those promises that were given to Abraham were passed now to Isaac, the child of promise, And then through Isaac came Jacob, and and many of us know that Jacob is the head, the the feudal head, if you will, of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so in the book of Genesis, this group of people that became Jacob and the 12 tribes of Israel find themselves in the land of Egypt. In Genesis chapter 42, they're reunited with the son that was, was cast into the pit named Joseph. Do you guys remember the story? Joseph was cast into the pit, for, 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 forsaken by his brethren, and yet God raised him up in Egypt to be second in command uh, over all of Egypt. And Israel, during that famine, relocated and, and reunited 
with Joseph in Egypt. And in Genesis 45 to 47, you have Israel dwelling in the land of Goshen under Pharaoh's blessing, and they're multiplying in that land. And I've just given you the entire book of Genesis in about three minutes. You're welcome. And the next book in your Bible is the book of Exodus. And as we enter into the book of Exodus, we find in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, the children of Israel were fruitful and they increased abundantly and they multiplied and they waxed exceeding mightily and the land was filled with them. And listen, they were under tremendous blessing, but that blessing was about to turn to bondage. Because the Pharaoh that knew Joseph, the king over Egypt that knew Joseph, the Bible says, died. And in Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 to 14, and you can turn there, the Bible says there arose a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it came to pass, when there falleth out any war, that they join into our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. And so this new king had a vision to put the people of Israel in bondage. Instead of blessing them and letting them multiply, he, he afflicted them and oppressed them. The Bible says in Exodus 1 and verse 11, Therefore did they set over them taskmasters to afflict them with burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramesses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they grew and multipl- uh, multiplied and grew. And they, gr- they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All of their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. And, and, and just to understand that, that Israel now, instead of being a blessed people, are people that are in bondage, they're oppressed, they're, they're persecuted through Pharaoh. And it's through this persecution and bondage in which God is going to deliver them through the Passover lamb. Does that make sense? You guys, you guys know the story, but, it, but it's important to know the backstory. And so as Israel is multiplying in the land, as Israel is growing, and as they're experiencing bondage, the Word of God tells us that they are already God's son. It's very interesting how God views the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. We know that God views them as a, a nation of people, But God also views them as his son. And and, and so get this in your notes. The Passover in the book of Exodus is an ordinance that was established for God's son, Israel. And I want to show you that in Exodus chapter 4. That as we look at this Passover ordinance in the Old Testament, that it was for a very specific person. It was for the son of God. You say, well, the son of God is Jesus Christ. Yes, But God also viewed his nation of people in the Old Testament collectively as a son. Look at Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. When when God calls the leader Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt, and he raises up this leader, he sends Moses to Pharaoh. And in verse 22, it says, Thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is is my son, even my what? Even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. So the warning to Pharaoh from Moses was, not let my people go, 
no offense to the Disney movie. All of you, you know, doctrine from Disney is not a good thing, by the way. So just, just free, free of charge, man. Get your doctrine from the Bible. Not let my people go. Let my son Israel go. Let my firstborn son go so that he, singularly, may serve me. And so I want you to understand that God views his son in the Old Testament, uh, views the nation of Israel collectively as a son uh, singularly. Hosea 11 and verse 1 says, When Israel was a child... Then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. And so as we study this thing of the Passover in the Old Testament, just know that it was for a very specific person, God's son, the nation of Israel corporately. It it, it was for an intended audience. Number two, the Passover in the Old Testament, as you know the story, many of you know, is connected with the blood of a lamb. And, And that was the whole point, right? God tells Israel... In Exodus chapter 12, now you're going to have to turn there, Exodus 12 and verse 1, because we have way too many verses to be on the screen this morning, and and hopefully you brought a Bible or or can download a a Bible app and and follow along. Exodus 12 and verse 1, God gives us the method in which this Passover has to be performed. Look at Exodus 12 and verse 1. The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be a beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak unto ye all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of their souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it from out of the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it unto the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And thou shalt take the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the houses wherein they shall eat. And, and so what God says is, okay, it's time for you to get out of Egypt and, and, and I, I told your leader, Pharaoh, to let my son go. And if he doesn't, I'm going to slay all the firstborn of Egypt. And the way that you're protected from God's judgment is through the blood of a lamb. Through the blood of a lamb. And, and many of you already see the connection. You already see the, the doctrine of the blood atonement, even in the Old Testament. Listen, God has always chosen the blood atonement to be the standard of deliverance. It's always the blood atonement. As a matter of fact, even if we went back to the book of Genesis, and again, you know, we, we did like a real quick run through of, of some of the history in Genesis, but man, even with Adam and Eve, do you understand that after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the thing that God did to cover their sin wasn't a baptism, it wasn't a religious work, it wasn't a bunch of rules and regulations, it was actually a blood sacrifice that had to be made to cover the nakedness of their sin. Genesis 3 and verse 21, many of you may have never seen this before. The Bible says, unto Adam and to his wife. These, these are, these are, this is after they've fallen into sin in the Garden of Eden. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Well, how, how did he do that? I mean, I mean how did he make coats of skins 
to cover them. Well, an animal had to die. There had to be a blood sacrifice. And and again, even in the book of Genesis, you see the, the biblical standard for the doctrine of the blood atonement that's required for sin. And I I think in Genesis chapter 3, the Lord killed a lamb. And from that lamb, or or maybe two lambs, from that lamb, he got the skins to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness because of their sin. You know, Proverbs 27 and verse 26 says, The lambs are for thy clothing, and the goats are the price of the field. And man, God in, in the very beginning of the Bible is showing us that sin has a cost, Sin has to be dealt with, and the only way to deal with it is not through religion, not through laws and regulations, and and you trying harder and you doing better. It's through a sacrificial lamb. An innocent innocent sacrifice has to die to cover our sin. And, And again, all of that points, obviously, prophetically, to the person of Jesus Christ. But man, God is dealing with this son in the Old Testament, this son, Israel, and he says, listen, if you want to be delivered even from Egypt, and again, we, we get into some weird things because Israel's already called God's son in the Old Testament, but yet they're in bondage to Egypt. And, and God says the only way out is through the blood. And so put the blood on the door, put it on both sides, put it on the lintel above, and when I pass through the land and when I see the blood, I'll pass over. Man, listen, can I... You know, I was studying this this week, and I, I kind of looked at this story, and I thought, man, what a responsibility, by the way, of every dad in Israel. Every, every man, every father had to have a, a soberness about him to understand that, man, God's judgment is coming. And listen, the way of, 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 of enduring that and not having that affect my house is to make sure that we get a lamb. And man, God didn't check for the, the, the contents of the house. God didn't look to see how many people were in the house. But man, somebody had to make the decision, i got to make sure the blood's applied to my house. And again, man, practically, just devotionally, man, we ought to have a burden for our homes. Knowing the judgment of God and knowing the seriousness of sin and also knowing that, man, God gives us a way of redemption through Christ and every man ought to be broken for his home and burdened and make sure that he knows what God's word says so that, so that judgment doesn't come. Can you imagine a child in that nation of Israel? Man, asking their dad, man, what are you, what are you doing and why are you doing that? And, and having a father or mother explain, listen kids, here's what God has said. Here's what God has required, and we believe the Word of God. And man, we're going to put the blood on the door. And listen, again, in type and picture, that worked for the Jew in the Old Testament. You go home today and kill a lamb and put that blood on your door. That won't do you any good at all today, because it all points to the person of Jesus Christ. But man, listen, that blood still has to be applied to your life personally. And it's the only thing that will make a difference. And so listen, this Passover is connected with the blood of a lamb. And for the nation of Israel, again, they were already called a son and considered a son in God's eyes. But for Israel, this Passover lamb is connected to a new beginning. As a matter of fact, when when God instituted this Passover, he said, listen, 
This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. And you have to just slow down and pay attention to that. He's talking to a group of people that have been in bondage, or at least been in Egypt, for 430 years. They already had a calendar. They already had days and times and seasons. And yet God says, no, 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 listen. Listen, at this moment of deliverance, God's changing the time. He's giving Israel what we like to call, what at least my wife and I like to call, an epic. It's a point in time to which everything else is measured back. He's giving them an epic, basically E-P-O-C-H, by the way, for, the, for those that want to write that down. Not E-P-I-C, which, you know, again, English matters. But this was an epic in the life of the nation of Israel. It, it was a point in time in which everything else in their life and ministry would be measured back to. Their deliverance from Egypt. Exodus 12, verse 40. I think this is on the screen. It says, The sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, by the way, all that was prophesied in Genesis, even the selfsame day, it came to pass that all the host of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is the night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel and their generations. And again, man, for 430 years, Israel had been in Egypt and they'd been in bondage, and they'd been pressed. And listen, God says, okay, now today is the day of deliverance. And that means for you, Israel, it's a new beginning. It's a new beginning. We're going to measure time different for you now. And it has something to do with the blood of the Lamb, which is powerful. Number three, this Old Testament Passover is connected with a disassociation from leaven. And again, all this is just introduction so we can actually get to the Lord's Supper, but, but this is important for us to learn together. In Exodus 12 and verse 8, as, as God institutes the Passover, he says in verse 8 that they shall eat the flesh in that night. This is the lamb that has been sacrificed, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs shall they eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden with water, but roast it with fire, with his head and his legs, and the, the pertinence thereof. And, and ye shall let nothing of it remain till the morning. That which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, with your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Ye shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. And God says, here's why you need to eat it in haste. I'm going to pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, Against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you, and I will smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it for a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, and you shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. And, and, so, and so, man, not only is the blood atonement important, because God says, when I see the blood, I'm going to pass over your home, and, and the judgment won't be executed on your house. But God also said, when you keep this feast, I want to make sure that you eat unleavened bread. And again, man, if, if we had just had another two hours, I noticed you didn't pack a lunch today, but, but if you did, 
Hopefully you got the leavened bread of the Krispy Kremes before service, so uh, I did. Uh, man, when you study the Bible, leaven is a result of fermentation, okay? It's a result of fermentation. Think of dough that rises, those of you that cook, right? You, you know what I'm talking about. And so, and so the nation of Israel was to depart in haste from Egypt, meaning that the dough that they had prepared, there was no time to wait for that bread or that dough to rise. Look at Exodus 12 and verse 30, 34. It says, the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. I just want to establish the point that this diet, this standard, had something to do with blood, and it had something to do with unleavened bread. Leaven in the Bible is always connected to sin. It's always connected to unrighteousness. We'll see it in just a minute. It's connected with false doctrine. And God said, because you're leaving Egypt in a hurry, you're going to eat unleavened bread. Where, where before that point, leaven would, would have been fine for them to eat. But at this point, and because of this day, and because of what God was doing, he says, listen, uh, no, you're actually going to eat unleavened bread with this feast because we don't have time to wait for your dough to leaven. And you see it all the way through, verse 15, as, as God gives, again, instruction on this feast for their perpetual observance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. God, God said so much about this leaven that he said, listen, if leaven is found in your house, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. I mean, if you stash the Krispy Kremes, man, as a, as a Jew in the Old Testament, you, you done messed up concerning this feast. You see what I'm saying? Concerning this feast, God says, no, it's got to be unleavened because you're leaving in haste. And, and because leaven points to something in the Bible. Exodus 12, verses 19 and 20, again, you shall eat nothing leavened in all your habitations, shall you eat unleavened bread. We'll talk about the significance today in just a few minutes. But just know that Old Testament Passover, and it had something to do with unleavened bread. God said, I don't want any of that leaven in your house. Why? Why, God? I mean, what, what does that even mean? What does that point to? It points to something significant. Number four, the Passover is connected with Israel's deliverance from bondage. And, and again, man, God did this thing to free them from their captor. God did this thing to move them from Egypt to the promised land of Canaan. God did this thing in their life to, to release them from their oppressor and from their bondage and from Pharaoh. Exodus 12, verse 28. The children of Israel went away as the Lord God had commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and his servants and the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house well, there was not one dead. Listen, God keeps his word. And you can trust God, but listen, when God even talks about his, his consequence, his judgment, his execution of judgment, God keeps his word there too. But listen, don't think for a second that God didn't give provision for that. The provision was, take the blood of the lamb and put it on the door. And if you'll do that, man, I'll pass over. And so Israel, uh, excuse me, Israel responded rightly. Egypt responded wrongly. Verse 31, he called for Moses and Aaron by night. And he said, rise up, get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as ye have said. 
And so verse 51, And it came to pass the selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. Again, man, Old Testament picture. Egypt is always a picture of sin. It's a picture of the world system. Pharaoh is an Old Testament type or picture of Antichrist persecuting the nation of Israel during the tribulation period. And God is going to miraculously deliver Israel and destroy its enemies. But, but, but personally, and God gives you victory over your oppressor. God delivers you from your sin, from your bondage, from the influence of the devil in your life. And he does so perfectly because he, he has a plan for you. God, God wants you to, to walk in liberty and in freedom. And we'll talk about that. That's what he wanted for Israel. That's what he wants for you. And then number five, the Passover is connected to Israel's liberty to serve God. I mean, that was kind of the point, right? It, it was kind of the point that, hey, let my son go, Exodus 4, even my firstborn, let him go that he may serve me. Now, you already know where this is going to end. <laughs> so, so the Passover, the Old Testament Passover was for a group of people, the nation of Israel. And by the way, you're not the nation of Israel. But it was for a group of people. It was for God's son in the Old Testament. It was an ordinance established that had a connection with the blood of a lamb. It had a connection with a disassociation from leaven, a deliverance from bondage. And it gave them the ability to serve God. Okay, so let's transition now into the New Testament. Because listen, in the New Testament, the Passover was still active. And we know that because Jesus Christ was a Jew his disciples were Jewish. They were from the nation of Israel. And you see them observing the Passover in the New Testament. And so in, the, in, the, in your notes, get this down. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper with the apostles after the Passover Supper. And, and I, I've got a lot of references, and they're in your notes because you can study this later. But in Matthew chapter 26, verse 17 says it was the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That was the feast associated with the Passover and in Matthew 26, this is right before Christ's betrayal. This is the last supper that he spends with his disciples. It is the Passover supper. And yet, at the end of that passage and at the end of that supper, verse 26, it says, as they were eating. As they were eating what? Well, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, as they were eating the Passover. Jesus took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. Well, they'd already been eating bread. But then he says, okay, take and eat. This is my body. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will dr not drink henceforth of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And so in, in the book of Matthew, they were observing the, the feast of unleavened bread. And then Christ said... This is my body, and this is my blood, right? The fruit of the vine. By the way, it doesn't say wine there. It says the fruit of the vine. And, and so words mean something. And so if you're a student of the Bible, study that out. Mark chapter 14, the same account, verse 22, the Bible says, As they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and break it and gave it to them, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. Verse 24, this is the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many 
Verily I say to you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Luke 22, again, Christ says, with great desire I have to, to eat this Passover with you. Luke 22 and verse 15. And so they sat down to eat the Passover. The Bible says in verse 17 that he took the cup, he gave thanks. He said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For this I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine. God seems to be consistent. Until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave unto them saying, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper. That's very interesting. This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. And so, so Christ to Jewish apostles initiated and instituted the bridge between the Old Testament Passover and the connection, symbolically, to New Testament Christianity. He, he does it at the Passover, which is something that those Jews would have certainly understood. Then he confirmed the Lord's Supper even to the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So, so Paul was not sitting at that table. Paul was an unconverted Pharisee. In Matthew 26 and in Luke 22, Paul, Paul was Saul, who would later become a persecutor of the church, but he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. And man, God radically transformed his life. And, and, and through his walk with God, Paul becomes an apostle of Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, I've received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he break it. He said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord's death till he come. And so you need to understand that Paul wasn't at the table with Christ and those apostles before his, before his betrayal. So, so how did Paul get this revelation? Well, he tells you that he got it from the Lord. That, that, that God himself revealed it to him. And if you know anything about Paul's life, you know that after his conversion in Acts chapter 9, Paul went to the desert for a minute. He went to the backside of the desert. Matter, matter of fact, you can write down Galatians 1, verses 15 to 17. Paul says in Galatians 1 that immediately he conferred not with flesh and blood, and he didn't go up to Jerusalem to the apostles, but he went into Arabia, and he spent some time on the backside of the desert. And I believe Christ himself discipled Paul through the Holy Spirit of God, and then he returned again to Damascus. And so he didn't consult with flesh and blood, but he did consult with flesh and bone, Jesus Christ himself. And, and, and this, this, this ordinance that Christ started with the apostles was confirmed through the apostle Paul. And, and, and Paul is the apostle of the Gentiles. Romans 11 and verse 13, Paul says, I speak to you Gentiles, and as much as I'm the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. And the Corinthian epistle is written to a local church, not to, not to the nation of Israel. And so that's important for us to understand that Christ has confirmed an ordinance for the local church that certainly has a connection, but is not the same thing. That when we observe the Lord's Supper, we're not observing Passover, 
in the sense that, man, we're an Old Testament Jew celebrating our deliverance from Egypt. No, we, we are actually celebrating and rejoicing and remembering the finished work of Christ. That's what we're doing. But again, we have to understand that God took that and bridged it for us through the person of Christ. And so point number C in your notes is this, the Lord's Supper is commanded as an ordinance for the New Testament church. And it is interesting, when we studied Exodus, God said, man, listen, the, the, the Passover is an ordinance for Israel. And, and yet, the New Testament church has things called ordinances. Okay, so look at 2 Corinthians 11, verses 1 and 2. How are we doing? You guys okay this morning? So look at verse 1. It says, be, Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. And so, and so the Apostle Paul had delivered some ordinances to the Corinthian church. By the way, the New Testament church only has two ordinances. It's the Lord's Supper, and what's the other one, church? It's baptism. And those two things are the ordinances that the New Testament church are to observe. And so, and so listen, an ordinance is something that was ordained by the Lord Jesus Christ, and upon His authority and institution, it was followed by the practice of the apostles. And, and listen, it's been passed on to the New Testament church. And, and there's always a mark or a symbol associated with it. Baptism is symbolic. It doesn't save you, but it points to what's already happened in your life. It's an identification with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. The Lord's Supper, partaking of this, will not save you. You don't receive Christ through bread and grape juice. You don't receive Christ through an institution of a church. You receive Christ by faith, personally. But there's a symbol associated with the Lord's Supper that points us back to the great truth of the gospel and a personal relationship of your life to that truth. Does that make sense? And, and so, and again, let me just say that ordinances are to be administered by local churches because God instituted ordinances for the local church. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 and 18 tells the Corinthians, hey, when listen, when you're coming together, you're not doing it right. There's division, there's, 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 there's carnality, and, and Paul says, okay, uh, you guys aren't necessarily doing it right, so I'm going to write this epistle to help you. Here's what you need to know. Man, a biblical ordinance is done through the local church. And, and, and it's not based on the validity of the minister. Because, man, listen, if, if you look at any pastor of any church, you can find fault. You don't have to look far. Does that, does that make sense? However, God has established local church authority. And so baptism is administered through the local church. And the Lord's Supper is administered through the local church because it's an ordinance for the local church. All right, so, so let's make application now in our own life. And I think based on what we've learned from the Old Testament, we're going to see some interesting parallels in the New Testament. You guys okay with that? So look at, look at point, point whatever point is in your notes. I, I think it's C1. Man, the Lord's Supper is an ordinance for God's sons. And all the females in the room just said, wait a second, bro, like... Are we going to wave the gender flag right now? Listen, uh, just hear me out. Uh, when, when God uses the phrase in the New Testament, sons of God, it, it is all-inclusive in the sense that we're all God's children if you're born again, if you're saved. Does that make sense? 
And so that phrase is very specific. It's very purposeful. Just as in the Old Testament, the Passover was given to God's son, Israel. In the New Testament, the the ordinance of the Lord's Supper is given to those that are born again through the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross of Calvary. It's through his shed blood. And so let me show it to you. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so aren't you thankful? Listen, God made you new. He made you different. God, he changed your, he changed your family lineage. Galatians 4 and verse 6, it says, Because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You see, there's a common misconception amongst our culture of Christianity that everyone is automatically a son of God. We're made in God's image and in God's likeness. We're all God's children. That's not biblical. You don't become a son of God until you are born again. You don't become a son of God until you believe on the finished work of Jesus Christ for your sin. And, that, and that's who the Lord's Supper is for. Because lost people, no offense, don't have any understanding about what we're celebrating. They, they have no understanding of what this represents. And, and again, maybe you're here today or you're watching online and you would say, Jay, I've never made that profession of faith in my life. Praise the Lord, you can do that today. You can make today the day of salvation. You can, you can make today the day that you become a child of God through faith in the finished work of Christ. Today can be the day. You can do that right now. We'll, do it. we'll give you an opportunity at the end of service, but you can do it now. And listen, in the Old Testament, for Israel, man, the Passover represented a new beginning. And thank God for that. But let me just tell you something, man. In the New Testament, that Passover lamb of Christ, it's connected with a new birth. It's a new, it's a new birth. In other words, your life is radically transformed forever. You have become a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Not just a new beginning, man. Not just a fresh start. A brand new life. A brand new life in Christ. And and listen, that is why this ordinance is so powerful for the child of God, because, man, it reminds us of what Christ did in our life. So here's the key question for all of us, man. Are you saved? Are you saved? Do you know a time in your life where you recognized your sin before a holy God and you recognized that there was nothing in your power to reconcile your sin to God and that you believed on Jesus Christ to save you from your sin? Listen, every born-again believer ought to be able to remember back what your life was like before Christ, hopeless, helpless, in bondage, in rigor, in affliction, and in your sin. And man, somebody, some way, somehow, got the gospel to you. It may have been a tract, it may have been a preacher, it may have been a best friend in college that loved you and loved God enough to ask you the question, Jay, when you die, where are you going to spend eternity? And why? 
And when you didn't have the answer, man, somebody pulled out and said, let me show you what Christ did for you. That he died on the cross for your sin and for my sin. And, and, and through his finished work on the cross and the power of his resurrection, that is a gift available to all men. If you'll just receive it by faith. If you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Listen, if, if you're saved, then you understand the significance of this ordinance. And if you're not saved, if you're religious, well, this won't do anything for you. It won't do anything for you. Because religion can't save you. But the blood of Jesus Christ can. Number two, the Lord's Supper is connected with the body and blood, not of a lamb, like a physical lamb, it's connected to the body and the blood of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul again says, I received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This doing remembrance for me in the same manner he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This is the cup of the New Testament of my blood. This do as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death. Till he come. You see, you see, our connection now in the New Testament is not with an animal that was sacrificed, that God saw the blood of that animal on a door and passed over our house of judgment, passed over his judgment over our house. That's not what we're celebrating. What we're celebrating is a person. It's the body and blood of Jesus Christ. His body was broken. His bones weren't broken, but his body was. And it was pierced with nails. His side was pierced with a spear. And listen, his blood was shed for our sin. It was that blood, the blood of Christ, that was able to appease God's wrath over sin. The judgment that was necessary. And so as we observe the Lord's Supper, again, what we're remembering is Christ's finished work on the cross. And we're remembering it until we see him again. And, and, and so let me just say about the Lord's Supper... Uh, that we don't believe that in these small cups is Jesus' literal blood, and on these plates is li Jesus' literal body. They, they, these are representative for remembrance. His body was broken once, never to be broken again, by the way. He isn't a continual sacrifice given for our sins. He died once for our sin. And I would dare say that people that think that we're actually eating Christ's literal body and blood, man, they, biblically there's a little bit of a problem because they're continuing to sacrifice Christ. The sacrifice happened once, and it's finished. And so as we observe this Lord's Supper, man, we're remembering that his body was broken and that his blood was shed, and we're showing his death till he come. And that means that we're looking for him again, amen? <laughs> that we're looking for him again. Number three, the Lord's Supper is connected with the disassociation from sin. And just like in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, when they observed the Passover, God says, listen, make sure you eat unleavened bread. Make sure there's no leaven found in your house, else you be cut off from the nation of Israel. And listen, that was pretty strong consequence in the Old Testament. And can I just tell you, for the Old Testament Jew, there had to be some examination, Right? Like, we had to actually, we had to be intentional to make sure there's no leaven in our dough, there's no leaven in our house. Man, is my wife hidden the Krispy Kremes under the bed? I mean, what's going on? Like, 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 God took that thing of leaven so serious that there had to be some examination to make sure there's none of that in the house. And God calls us 
to again examine ourselves as we observe the Lord's Supper because there's some things we ought to be looking for in our life. And truthfully, there are some things that ought to be rid out of our life. Does that, does that make sense? Look at, look at verse 27, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. So you don't have to look at your neighbor right now. And let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And by the way, that word sleep is, is King James for dead. Taking a dirt nap. Okay, I was just seeing if you guys were awake. Are you asleep? Be careful how you answer, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm asleep, bro. <laughs> According to the King James, you're, you're dead. Anyways, look at verse 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But we, when we are judged, we're chastened of the Lord and should not be condemned with the world. Man, God's called us to examine our life. And, and so as we observe the Lord's Supper, number one, you have to ask yourself the question, am I saved? Number two, you have to ask yourself the question, am I mature enough to examine myself? And if the answer to that is yes, well, then you ought to partake because you, you kind of know what we're talking about. You know what the Bible's talking about. That word unworthily, taking the Lord's Supper unworthily, that word is an adverb. It, it modifies a verb. It, it's, it's how you eat or drink during the Lord's Supper. It, it, the issue is not whether or not you're worthy. That's not the issue. You're worthy because Christ said you are. But the issue is partaking unworthily. And so listen, man, as a Christian, we need to do introspect, right? Here's what we need to do. I just kind of put it in my notes like this. We need to look for the leaven. And we need to make sure it's not in our house. And what I mean by that is individually, but also corporately. Because leaven in the Bible is, is representative of three things in the New Testament. Number one, it's representative of false doctrine. Matthew 16, and, and these aren't on the screen, but verses 6 through 12, the Lord said unto them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Verse 12, he says, it's the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Leavened bread is false doctrine. And the truth is, love me, anoint your ears with ear salve. There are a lot of churches that observe the Lord's Supper with leaven in their house concerning what that really is. And God says, man, that's eating and drinking unworthily. Your house is full of leaven. There's some false form of the Lord's Supper being propagated. Again, receiving Christ through communion is not biblical. You receive Christ by faith. It's by God's grace through faith that the gospel can save us from our sin and nothing more. And so leaven is a picture of false doctrine. Number two, leaven is a picture of hypocrisy. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. In other words, the Pharisees looked one way outwardly, but inwardly their life didn't match. And can I just tell you as a church and as Christians individually, we need to do examination and say, am I a hypocrite? Am I a hypocrite? Do I look one way outwardly on Sunday morning, 
and look differently the rest of the week. So much so that if someone saw me outside of this place, they wouldn't recognize who I am, what I do, how I talk, how I live, how I behave. That is hypocrisy. And friend, that is leaven. And God says, you know, that's unpleasing. We need to examine ourselves. Thirdly, leaven is symbolic of malice and wickedness. As a matter of fact, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, and again, these, these are all in your notes, but don't, don't worry, they're not on the screen, so you're just going to have to take my word for it and then study your Bible. Okay, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be new, a new lump, as you are unleavened. For Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And again, he's talking about Christ being our Passover as New Testament Christians. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You know, God really cares about your attitude toward other people. Malice is ill will toward other people. It's a desire to be injurious toward other people, and it's connected to wickedness. And by the way, it has no place in the body of Christ. And so for some of us, maybe before we partake, there may need to be a reconciliation between you and that person that you know you're not right with. Well, when would I do that? Now would be a good time. You can you cannot partake unworthily and just go ahead and deal with the issue in your heart. Well, what would people think? Well, they would probably think that you're sensitive to the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Man, God, help us, to the, to get, help us not get to the place where we can't respond to God's Word whenever and wherever we need to respond to it. Listen, I, I long for a church service, by the way, and for the record, where we can just have people respond rightly to God's Word at the moment. And man, if there's something in my heart that needs to be right with somebody else, then I can go and get up and go grab that person and go in the hall or go out front and pray together and get restored together so that I'm not walking in the leaven of maliceness and wickedness in my life. You guys okay with that? Man, the contrast of, of, of malice and wickedness is sincerity and truth. Two things that unfortunately many times are absent churches. So God says, get the leaven out. Look for the leaven, get it out. And, and God says, you need to partake of unleavened bread. And the unleavened bread in your Bible also represents three things. Number one, it represents Christ's body because it's the only unleavened bread that can save you from your sin. Yeah, the blood can save you, but Christ's body can also save you. It was broken for your sin. Number two, the, 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 the unleavened bread is also pictured in the Bible as the word of God. And you need something without error, without sin, without corruption that can sustain you. And you need a Bible that you can trust, by the way. You need unleavened bread of the Scripture that can sustain you. And then thirdly, listen, unleavened bread in the Bible is a picture of a unified church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 17, again, Paul dealing with the Corinthians, he says, we being many are one bread. We. We're one bread, and we're one body, for we're all partakers of that one bread. And he's not, he's not talking about the communion table. He's talking about Christ. And so as a body of believers, man, listen, we are called to be an unleavened loaf. 
You don't want to be the speck of leaven, man. And a body that God wants holy. And listen, we all struggle. We all sin. I get it. What you do with that is really important. Number four, the Lord's Supper is connected with deliverance from bondage. We're done. We got like two minutes. The Lord's Supper is connected with deliverance from bondage. Again, the Lord's Supper is just a reminder of what God has freed you from. He's freed you from the bondage of sin. Galatians 5 and verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ had made us free. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And I know in Galatians he's talking about the law, but can I just tell you that sin keeps us captive. And man, listen, God has delivered you as a child of God from it. Don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Why in the world would you go back to Egypt? Here's why I know you would go back. Because Israel wanted to go back. Because it got a little hard on the other side of Egypt. And and listen, I'm not going to stand here and lie to you and tell you the Christian life is the easiest life to live. It's It's only the only life to live. And whatever, whatever struggle you have or, or, you know, issue in your life that, that seems hard, that, that might be the thing that drives you back to your old life and to your old ways and to your old master, Pharaoh, it ain't worth it. It's just not worth it. And Christ has set you free. Rejoice in the liberty that you have in the person of Christ. And then number five, look, the Lord's Supper is connected with our availability serve him and I can't I just can't let it go man you know when God when God instituted that Passover in the Old Testament God's plan was for Israel not only to be delivered but to be available to serve you see Israel's deliverance had a destination and that destination was Canaan but listen your deliverance does too God's desire is that every Christian submit to the spirit of God in your life so that you can serve the body of Christ. That's why you need to hasten to be holy, so that God can harness your life by the power of His Spirit for His glory. You see, saved people ought to serve. And man, listen, we have a great reminder through the Lord's Supper. Amen. So I'm going to pray for us. As I pray, our ushers are going to come, our, our deacons are going to come, and some of our ushers. And and we're going to begin distributing the elements, and, and then I'm going to pray, and we'll, I'm going to pray while they're beginning to do that, but then also I'll pray at the end, and then we're going to partake together. If you're joining us via live stream, we want to say thank you for joining us this morning, and uh, pray that you have a great week. But we're going to dismiss you now uh, so that we can observe this uh, in the church corporately together. So God bless you. Thank you guys for joining us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and just ask him. To-